Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So, get involved. Get involved. Now, I have, instead of the usual, Mitch, how's your week been? I've got a question for you, mate, and I want you to put some deep thought into this. If you had the chance to have a romantic candlelit dinner with one rugby personality, past or present, who would that be and why? Ooh, that is a juicy question. Um, I know. I, I've just thrown it to you out of you the blue, You have thrown mate. it to me so, out of the blue. Uh, thinking, I'm going to go. Gap on. Oh, there's so many good names that you could really throw up. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to say Goog Harrison. I've oh, been, yeah. Okay. I've been really impressed with his performance on Rugby Heaven and the little um, segment where he does the stories with Goog. Um, and just the the amount of stuff that he knows and he's been involved with, I think he he's got that. He'd be a great person to actually sit down and have a chat with because he'd probably throw a bit of banter around as well. Um, and I think that'd be fun. I was I was going to say well. I was going to say Jonah Lomu because I think that would be incredible. But at the same time, I think he'd just talk about how he ran over everyone and just won everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> and being an Australian rugby fan, I'd probably be sitting there going, "Oh yeah." Yeah, yeah, that hurt. Yeah, that hurt. I felt that sitting here. Yeah, <laughs> as I was as I was typing this up for you, I was thinking about who I would uh, have the dinner with, and I think my first one is um, Nigel Owens. Oh, I'd brilliant. be really keen to just sit down and have a chat with him. There's so much that I respect about his his contribution to rugby, the life experiences that he's gone through, and the way that he's still such a upbeat and peppy personality despite a lot of the difficulties that he's had mm. so i'd be really keen plus he's welsh and my family's welsh so uh, <laughs> i'd love to chat with him about the well old that country. is that's a great shout yeah I, i'd also love to be involved in that conversation as well nigel owens is well, awesome awesome <laughs> maybe a couple's dinner or something like that yeah How about yeah that? definitely we'll do that um okay well why don't you take us through the social platforms uh all right we're on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive rugby we are on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and we are on twitter at pick underscore drive rugby Brilliant. So the Super Bowl Yellow Cat for this week goes to BT, who has rocketed up 24 places, up to 26th. So he was sitting in 50th previously, which is just insane. Uh, and the top three for the current week um, as it's sitting is Her Red, or Her Red still as rank number one. Absolute freak. Uh, Liquor Box <laughs> in number two, and then Tombs has jumped back up uh, from fourth into third so congratulations to two no, I, I do want to say while we're on this that the the top of the competition is getting very tight so mm. last week there was a bit of there was some points differential between one and two but now uh her red sitting on 24 points liquor box is sitting on 23 and tombs is sitting on 22 so it only takes one of those guys to to slip up and and put in an incorrect pick and it's there for the taking for anyone. And I, yep. what I've been really surprised with with this competition is that so many people are involved that when you look at the, the results from one game to the next, you can move so much. So <laughs> I this weekend, I got the Western Force game nearly smack bang on and I was sitting in fifth on the ranking. And then I yep. got the Rebels game wrong because I went for the Rebels. And I moved down 24 spots. 
So it's what? crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I moved up 10 spots into fifth and then moved down 24 spots. So there's it, uh, two or three, one, like one point can shift you drastically on the table in this competition. It's crazy. It's cutthroat. I love it. That is absolutely insane. I um I got the Brumbies match nearly perfect. So I said Brumbies by seven and it was Brumbies by six. Um, but then I'm not even sure what I said for the Reds, but I only went up like, so not the Reds, the um four stars, but I only went up three spots despite getting one almost perfectly correct. So it's so frustrating how, <laughs> how tight it is um, and how You've got good to go for the upsets. You've got to get the upsets. That's what really yeah, just ride your luck on that. Rocks, rocks you through the, the the table. Yep. Well, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a fun one. I'm really enjoying doing it. it I'm really keen to get into some fantasy next year, uh, yeah. next season. That'll be something. Yeah, I want to sure. learn a bit more about that. Maybe have a chat with some of the draft rugby boys and uh, get involved with that. That'll be yeah. Great it's fun. definitely something that both of you and I haven't done too much of before. So we've done the tipping this year. Next year we'll expand into the fantasy side of things. Yeah, very keen, very keen. Anyway, uh, so the plan for tonight is to just touch on a few points of spicy news. Um, a couple of major things that have come out regarding James O'Connor and um, the inclusion of Moana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua as well. And then once we've touched on the news, we'll head into the review of round nine, the locker room fan questions, and then our round 10 preview. So why don't we jump on into the spicy news? Let's go. All right, time to talk some spicy news now, and we'll start with the domestic side of things. So to start things off, we were talking about it last week, but it's now been confirmed that Reese Hodge has suffered an MCL injury and has been confirmed to be out for 10 to 12 weeks. Massive, massive impact for the Rebels for this one and potentially the, Wall- <clears throat> the Wallabies as well. What are your thoughts around this, Ando? Uh, I think that it's obviously pretty devastating. It was a massive accident um, where Tim Anstey kind of charges, is trying to get the charge down and bumped into, well, careered into his leg. Um, I was really rating Hodge at 15. Um, I, th- I think it's his best position. And the option that his boot provides for us to be taking long penalties, to be going for large touch finders, or um, to be kicking. Uh, basically, he was just, he was really developing in my mind. But the problem is that, I mean, he's going to be out now, obviously, for 10 to 12 weeks. And he's only going to be back just before the uh, internationals if if his recovery is on time. I just don't think he's going to have enough match fitness to really perform. And Tom Banks has been playing fairly well. And Nick White also has a pretty big cannon on him too. And Banks's touch-finding kicks have been imp- significantly improved this season. So I don't think we're going to lose a huge amount by having backs in the back line from a kicking perspective. Yeah, <clears throat> I just wonder if we um, we may see him included in the Wallaby squad just because of the versatility that he brings. And the fact that he can play so many different positions in the back line and the experience yeah, <clears throat> that he also has. I don't know. We'll and see. if anybody's wondering, Mitch like just failed at drinking before. So <laughs> Yeah, I just <laughs> he's still half choking as we I go. I completely through this. choked um <laughs> thinking about the Waratahs this week. So if I sound like I'm dying, it's like they completely uh, freaking choked. Yeah. But we'll um, get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, get to, to that. that. We'll get yep. to that. On the other side of the coin for the Melbourne Rebels, good news. Haylett Petty is in line to hopefully make a comeback this week against the Waratahs. Now, I will yeah, say that so this, there was news that- this is Dane <laughs> Haylett Petty because Ross Haylett Petty's brother did make his comeback from injury this week against the Brumbies. Just wanted yeah. to confirm that. He, he um, was being 
Wizard is doing some a full contact, week of contact training last week, and he supposedly was having no concussion symptoms, which is fantastic. Hopefully that continues this week and he is able to make his comeback because um, I was rating Pincus a bit earlier in the season, but less so in the last few matches. So I'd be very, very keen to have uh, Dane Hell at Petty back. Definitely, definitely. Now, the next exciting news for Queensland Reds fans, James O'Connor is in talks to sign a two-year extension with the Reds and Rugby Australia to stay in Queensland and also to stay playing for the Wallabies for the next two years, which will see him up to the end of the world next World Cup, which is massive news considering the, uh, perform- the form he is in at the moment and the talks or the whispers that are going around the rugby community that he might be a good option for Wallabies captain. Yeah, I'm super excited for this. Uh, I think that his star will begin to fade over the next couple of years because he's not getting any younger. He's not going to be getting any faster. But at the same time, he's had such a commanding presence this year, has been calm, has been mature, has played his hand well without being super flashy like we would expect from kind of 21, 22-year-old James O'Connor. And obviously that's just a sign of his maturity and the fact that he's no longer 21 and 22. And I'm really happy for him to provide (coughs) that kind of mentoring or developmental role within both the Queensland Reds and the Wallabies. And even if he's a temporary captain for Wallabies for the next 12 months as an interlude between before somebody else younger takes on the role, then that would be fine by me. Angus Bell, uh, <laughs> potentially, potentially. Everybody's talking about Fraser McWright as the next Wallabies captain. Um, I haven't watched enough of him at kind of a 20s level to really know that. Kind of needs to start, start a test Yeah, he needs, to be able to, he, needs, he needs to be able to push Hooper out and hold on to that position for an extended period. And that's going to be a hard ask. Definitely, definitely. Now, the last bit of news for the... Well, this is technically international side of things. This week, it was confirmed that Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Drua have been signed off and... Well, I think they're pending one final approval from Rugby Australian and New Zealand yep. Rugby, but it's like 80 to 90% confirmed that both of these teams will be joining Super Rugby in 2022. Massive, massive news. Very exciting. Something that we've been very much looking forward to over the last few years and thinking that that is one part of the Pacific that's just not being represented. So great to see both of them included in an extended, expanded Super Rugby team next year competition next year yeah i'm really excited for this because what it seems to me to be is an opportunity for um, players from fiji from tonga from samoa to have an opportunity to be a professional whilst playing for a team that is representative of their their nation or their culture so they're not having to go super far over to europe or japan in order to have to earn a living from rugby and it also means that they remain eligible for their national unions as well, which is super, super important. Um, I think there's a lot of good within this. But one of the things that I'm really wary of is us as two kind of white Aussie guys talking and putting our opinion upon the complex world of Pacific mm. Island rugby. Yeah. Um, so what I've been trying to do is follow some of the key commentators, particularly like Daniel Leo who is so heavily involved with the welfare of Islander players throughout the world. He, um, he's got some really interesting insights, if you follow him on Twitter, regarding this and some of his concerns. So I just want to read this tweet from him that he put out um, a few days back on the 15th of April when his news broke. So I'm just quoting now. My two cents on Pacific Islanders 
super teams. I have every faith in Fiji Drua being run well and benefiting Fiji rugby and Fiji. Less so, Moana Pacifica. Senior Poly, Polynesian, so Samoan and Tongan, players and island unions contacting me saying they've been kept in the dark as to details that doesn't inspire confidence. Mm. So he's he's very clearly painted a, uh, a picture there or a difference between the two um the two teams which have been approved or provisionally approved and as we know the fijian drua were a fantastic addition to the nrc and i would be very confident that that can transition even though they may not be as strong in the first year or two but they'll have a faster developmental pathway into the success and the the quality needed at a super level um very quickly the concern that he's highlighting and i'm seeing from other people as well is moana pacifica um there has been less historical um evidence that the Samoan and Tongan unions are able to kind of organize and run a professional team, particularly together. And there's also the concern about where the teams are going to be based out of as well. And there's a lot of calls um, saying that Moana Pacifica will be based out of Auckland mm. and that um, the Fiji and Drua will be based out of Western Sydney. But the, again, these key people, such as Dan Leo and Simon Rawalin, I'm sorry, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Um, he, the head of Fiji rugby. Yeah, Raul Louis, thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, they are basically saying that these teams need to be to have their home games in their home countries, or at least a vast majority of them, because you need to be feeding back into the um, the home nations. They need to be feeding back into that community and getting the local support and excitement and pathways developed, so the young kids can see people playing professionally at home and making making a living for it, playing for their teams at home and then qualifying for their home nation. So I know I've spoken a lot then, but those are just some of the thoughts that are going around it at the moment that I'm trying to listen to from other people who are more knowledgeable and um, have a greater greater level of, I don't know, authority in what they're saying about this. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just excited to see that they've been included. So it's a good expansion. It's a good it's a good way to shift forward for super rugby. And we're not just looking at adding another New Zealand conference or I mean, far out to talk about another Australian team, but um, <clears throat> it's good. It's a good step forward. And I think it's, they're going to be competitive. Maybe not straight away, but we saw with um, the Fijian and Drew's uh, involvement in the NRC that they won it you know, within two or three years. So I think these these teams are going to be competitive, which is great to see. Now, if we move across into the international side of things, just two quick points to highlight. Scott Fardy has announced his official retirement from rugby at the end of the season, and he's had a phenomenal career, uh, probably not long enough in the Wallaby Gold, but a great, great servant of the game and a great player and a great representative of Australia for most of his career. Anything you I want to say? I am yep. so, yeah, look, very quickly and then we'll move on. I just absolutely rate Scott Fardy as a legend of the game. His loss at the end of the 2015 World Cup to, I think he went to Japan first before he moved to Leinster, um, has just been one of the big losses for Australian rugby. If he was still involved in playing for the Brumbies and the, um, and the Wallabies, I think our... The way that our teams have performed over the last four years would be remarkably different. He was that critical and vital to the team. So he is just one of my favorite players. I would love him to write a book about his career and experiences because I want him to reveal what happened between him and Checker in the 2015 and post-2015 World Cup. From my understanding, he and Checker clashed 
He was not a, I don't even know the right way to say this. He was someone who didn't buy into the hype and uh, was willing to stand up when he thought things weren't going the right way. And I think that cost him his international career. So please, Scott Fardy, I know that you listen to this podcast. Please, (laughs) can you write a book? I will buy it. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, he's one of those players. There's a few of them. Sean McMahon's another one that have been floating around the international scene for a while. And... really kind of lost to Australian rugby at the peak of their at their career. And we would do anything to have them back playing for the Wallabies in Wallaby Gold. And Scott Fardy's now retired. I don't know how long Sean's got left of rugby in his career. So I would love to see him back as well. So well done, Scott, and, and hopefully you enjoy your retirement. Now, the last point we have around international news is that Stan Sport has announced this week that they will be covering the Rainbow Cup. So they will have the games from Europe and South Africa to watch on on Stan Sport, another avenue of rugby to watch. Fantastic. Clarification around this, it is at this point, it's only the crossing over of the South African and the European teams that aren't happening in this Rainbow Cup competition. The South African teams will still play in the competition, but in in their own kind of bubble. Um, And then the European teams will play their own competition elsewhere not really sure yet at this stage how it's going to work whether um they're seen as two separate competitions or what the go is there but what we can reveal is that all of the games will be covered on stand sport so us rugby australian rugby fans will be able to watch fantastic anything else you wanted to say around the news or should we move on to our round no, nine review let's get into the review let's go <laughs> The first game of the weekend was held on Saturday night. And before I even get to that, I just want to say how weird it was to not have a game on Friday night. Yeah, how- I got home. I, uh, yeah, I was ready. I got back from a holiday. I sat down in front of the TV, clicked it on, and then went, oh, oh, there's, there's, there's no rugby on. The, the first game watch, is tomorrow night. I have to watch have League. To, I don't even... No, I didn't watch League. I wouldn't just stoop to that level. Uh, but <laughs> so anyway, the first game was between the Force and the Waratahs over in Perth at HBF Park. And it ended with a extra time penalty kick by Miotti to win 31 to 30 in pretty nail-biting circumstances. Um, a great win for the Force, a really devastating loss for the Waratahs and their fans, of which we're pretty blue tinted with our glasses so <laughs> as much as we're going to try and uh and talk up the force within this and really celebrate and congratulate them it's also bloody frustrating um how close we came to a win as well so let me go through some of the key stats before we start chatting about the game itself um overall like i said it was 31 to 30 force versus tars um and tries three also three tries each Two conversions, three conversions for the Tars, penalties with 3-3, and 100% kicking from Ben Donaldson, 75% from um, Miotti. The possession overall was dominantly in favour of the four, 61-39, to territory 64-36, to metres run was 458-323, to clean breaks was Nine to eight defenders beat in 27 24, offload six to 11. Um, turnovers were pretty even at nine and eight, and the set pieces um, were fairly strong. From actually, the 
the scrum for the force, they only won two of three. Waratahs were sold on their own scrum and the lineouts, we lost two of our lineouts. I didn't lose any. So that's basically it from a stats perspective. Um, from an actual open field gameplay point of view, it was pretty even. Uh, but in terms of the actual possession and then territory, it was heavily in favour of the force. Now, one of the things I want to ask before we get into the prepared questions that I have is do the force have an issue with actually breaking teams down and scoring points within phase play. Yeah, yeah, I think they do. I do. I think their performance from the last few weeks has gone to show that they really do struggle to actually accrue a lot of points in games. So this was, they scored 31 points in this game, which is relatively high. But in the last few weeks, they've really struggled to, um, to score a lot of points and to, as you, as you said, to really um, wear out the defenders and make, clean breaks <clears throat> they seem to score a lot of points off set piece so they're either um going for rolling mall tries or um pick and drive tries they're not readily making big breaks in the center field and i think that's one of the things that's really becoming apparent is just the like there were so many times in this game where the force had really consistent possession phase after phase, particularly in the second half, there were two really big periods where they just did not look like at all breaking down the Waratahs defensive line, which is not renowned this season as being particularly strong, although although they had a far greater um, effort and application and impact defensively this game. But I'm just really not seeing the quality backline that they have gelling particularly well um i saw a bunch of reports about tavita kurandrani getting man of the match for this game like being the best um rebels player uh, force player on the field and i just didn't see that watching this game i did not see tavita kurandrani being particularly fantastic he had a couple of good runs yeah but i just am not seeing what other people seem to regarding the backline of the force yeah, they don't. Um, they don't have any big cent. Like Tavita Kudrani is a big center who has that ability to break the line, but for whatever reason, he's not doing that. And I can only recall from watching the game back that uh, Feliti Kaitu was the only one who really broke away and scored a runaway try from that one that he got. He from- was in front of. He was in front of the other force player when he rips it out of his arms and then runs through that gap. That's fine. So, like, yeah, okay, Paul Ruck defense, but he's freaking in front of him. Yeah, so he was offside. Well, no, he came through. Sorry, the- not offside. It was a forward pass. It wasn't a forward pass. He ripped it off from his hands. But <clears throat> Okay, cool. I so, didn't- if you're standing facing a try line and I stand in front of you and then take it out of your hands and keep running, how is that not a forward pass? Because it's not a pass. I haven't passed it to you. You've ripped it from my hands. Oh, that is a load of crap. You do that in a it's mall. It's the same as a mall. it's going to get called as the forward. You can't pass the ball forward in a mall. It gets it gets ripped from the player though. We see it. We do see it where the ball comes out the side of them all, because it's been ripped from the players, uh, the ball carrier's hands, and then they spit off from the side and they don't say anything. Yeah, and it's get they go sideways from it. Anyway, my point is, watch your back. He's freaking yeah, in front. He, and I don't care what you front, say. But he, he, he is. That is not okay. Okay. I don't understand how you're arguing this. I fundamentally don't understand how you're arguing that it's okay to take the ball out of someone's hands when you're standing in front of them and then run towards the try line. Well, because he's the support player. He hasn't come from an offside position. He came through and latched on and then took the ball and, and left. I, wow. I can't believe you're defending this. Yeah. I've got to defend the force. Someone needs to. 
No, that's <laughs> wow. You're fundamentally wrong. Okay, let's keep going because we're not going to come past this. But anyway, keep going. Um, but yeah, Feliti Kaitu was the only one who I can recall actually making a massive line break and, and running away. And he's the hooker. So the centers weren't making big breaks through the center of the fields and um, the outside backs. I mean, Owella Fella made a few breaks, but he didn't make a lot of meters from it. So yeah, I, to, back to the point that you were making that, yeah, they do struggle to really punch through defense, defensive lines and really open up space. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that we saw um, the Waratahs able to sort of stick with it. Zai um, <clears throat> Parisi, particularly in the second half, was very good at punching through the meters and set up two pretty good tries from doing that, which is what, what the Western Force were lacking. I'm just spending so much time literally reading through the law book right now, trying to find out. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find the information about that and prove you wrong later. Anyway, um, I, I agree. And I think that Carl Godwin's inclusion has, has been positive because it has allowed them to have a bit more of a second um, ball player within the back line. Yep. Um, especially with Richard Kahui having that concussion injury for the last couple of weeks and then came off the bench last week. Although he was, he was good this week. Um, I just still think like the force have the capacity to be such a good team. They really do. Their forward pack in general is really strong, combative, and does their job pretty well around the park. Line out, scrum, maul, maul defense, in tight work. They're very competent and very good at what they do. I am just not convinced that the back line has been in any way supportive of them enough over the last really well basically over the course of the season i think a big part of that is just because they keep changing they keep changing who they're picking within key positions the yep. fact that this is the what third second last nine, game 10 combination yeah second last it's game well. and they don't even know who their starting back line is and it's yeah. the third nine third or fourth nine ten combination that they've used so far this season it's just outrageous it's only been nine rounds and that they've ch- anyway so I don't want to crap too much on a force because I want them to be better. It sounds like um, there's one I, person here on this podcast who's actually really salty by the outcome and one that's not. And I'll <laughs> actually, let fans if we decide after the game, I, Actually, after the game, I'm pretty sure it was you that was saltier than me, but now I'm sounding quite salty. After the game? <laughs> I mean, I you think, didn't watch it at, at the time. Yeah, didn't I didn't watch it at the time. I think we were talking about last week's game when I was really salty. Uh, we were uh, <laughs> at that um, Reds game. I got really saltier. <laughs> Oh, you for, were for so no reason. Angry. For no reason. Your wife was like pulling you down by the shirt, <laughs> saying, "Shut up, shut up." Considering um, I'm actually like on the Reds <laughs> bandwagon now, and and the Waratahs are doing so badly, there was no reason for me to be so upset. Uh, <laughs> we're fickle beasts, aren't we, mate? We're fickle beasts. We're just fans. Uh, of okay, do the, let's let's move on. Do the Waratahs deserve to finish this season with no wins? Yes. Okay. Why? Yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> they had this game by the scruff of the neck, and they should have sealed it out and won the game. And the fact that they didn't goes to show, uh, I guess, the inaccuracies of this team that we've got at the moment. So at one point they were nine points clear and then they get that penalty right on full time. They've By the time they kick it out, there's 10 seconds left for the line out and they stuff it up. And then they concede from where the lineout was, it's probably 65 meters they concede from the Western force and then give a penalty away right in front. So they didn't deserve to win this game because they weren't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't be, they weren't dominant enough to just see it out. Um, 
and the Western Force hung in there. They were more hungry. You could see that it meant something to them, that their finals hopes were still on the line. The Waratahs' finals hopes were still on the line as well. But for whatever reason, they just they didn't, they just weren't playing like they wanted to win the game. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I just I I don't think this was a it was a good performance by the Waratahs, but I don't come away from it thinking that they deserve to win the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I was super frustrated and we were chatting about it before the pod. Um, I was just super salty that it was like just one crap line out, which I blame on Tom Horton and you have looked at it pretty closely and think I it was blame a combination the of the throw and the lifters um, that really lost it. And I mean, if we take that that moment out of it, why aren't we calling for a scrum there? We haven't lost a scrum all night. Why aren't we just playing for the scrum? And um, But the scrum, then- I mean, in... In defense of the Waratahs in that instance, the scrum would have been in their own half. So had they yeah, gone true. down, the force could have kicked it and won. Um, so that it was the best option to kick it out and to take the line out and then soak up the... Because when they got the penalty, there was probably a minute and a half left on the clock and Jake Gordon wound it down to, by the time the, the line out was set, being 15 seconds left. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just super frustrating. I mean, there are there are plenty of moments within the game that you could point to. I mean, like we've just had a lovers spat on. I was pretty filthy about the Kai Two <laughs> breakaway. Um, I also was pretty salty in the lead up to that um, the final try for the force that brought them within range for the kick. Um, how Charlie Gamble got called for uh, oh, not yeah. releasing the tackle player, and I'm like, oh man. I watched that back a bunch of times and I'm pretty confident that he did release. It was just a but very he, smooth motion. But he wasn't the tackler, was he? Didn't he come he in as the first player? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I can't I remember correct? exactly because you, my head. If that's I just in, remember watching In that it. instance, you actually can't be pinged for not releasing yeah. because you don't have to release. But um, and now, I think, yeah, now that I go back and think about it, I think he was actually the tackler as well. But there was some think, comment online around that he planted his hands on the ground first and was sort of supporting himself. So did everyone in the... So does everybody. It's just the luck of the draw if you get pinged for that or not. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I'm not worried about that. I th- and you know what? Um, I think our attitude, or at least particularly my attitude towards this game, is just informed or influenced by uh, nine rounds or eight rounds um, of frustration and annoyance at the whole setup of the Waratahs. And we were so close to winning this game, but the force snatched it away with some really, really good um, game management from the Western force. So Miotti's decision to take that drop goal when the Waratahs defensive line was standing really strong and they didn't um, give away any penalties in about, what was it, the 60th minute or something like that? Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was just really, really smart and impressive play. It was fantastic to see. Um, I was also just super impressed with the way in which they just stuck in the game despite the defensive pressure of the Tars. Like the Tars, I wouldn't say dominated, but had a really strong period in the start of the second half where they scored two tries. They eventually got up eight. They scored tries in the space of four minutes. Yeah, yeah. They were two really they were, it, it was impressive. It was a good comeback. But and that then, was it. Uh, that's where they scored their well, point. Well, Donaldson had a couple of penalties. Donaldson yeah. had two penalties, penalties in the 60s, 6th and 69th. And then, yeah, they just, they were they were composed and did the right things at the right time of the game. 
and put themselves in a position to capitalize on the mistakes of the Waratahs. So w- well done to the force. They they did deserve the win as much as I'm frustrated about certain elements of the Waratahs loss. But the the other thing too that I the reason that I'm not that upset that we've lost this game, <clears throat> and I think that the force deserved to have won it is because it's pretty much what happened in Sydney when we played the force the first time. So we got out to a really good lead in that game at Bank West and then let the force back into it. And then they scored a try and ended up winning by a few points at the end as well. So the Waratahs should have known that the force have that ability, particularly up against them. Cause we're the only us and the rebels. We're the only two teams that the Western force have actually beaten in this year. All the other teams have quite convincingly put a good victory on, on the Western force. <clears throat> The Waratahs should have been aware that they needed to get points, apply scoreboard pressure and and extend that lead to be able to hold the force off because they will be coming home hot. It is their finals on the line. They are playing at home. They should have been um, prepared for that and it didn't seem like they were. Now, I can't fault the Waratahs' efforts in that last sort of four minutes mm. from full time because they did do very well not to give penalties away and to keep tackling and rolling away. And the the tempo was was very good and they were getting back up on their feet and their fitness was actually really... I was really impressed with their fitness to be able to keep yeah. going at that tempo and defending so well. But at the same time, they just... They didn't look like they were... Um, they weren't like they weren't definitely they weren't in control of that period because they didn't have the ball, um, their hands on the ball, but they didn't look like getting their hands back on the ball and they looked sort of comfortable just defending. Uh, and that really, I, I couldn't see it going any other way from that point when they were just racking up the momentum. They were basically waiting for the West, uh, Western Force player to drop the ball. They weren't actually trying to con- to get the ball back. They weren't trying for intercepts or they weren't trying for <clears throat> um, getting the ball back from the breakdown. So I didn't really, in those last few minutes, see it going any other way than either the Western Force kicking a field goal, scoring a try, or get it, giving a penalty away and kicking it like they did. Yeah, I was actually waiting for Miotti to slot, uh, step back into the pocket and just slot the drop goal. Uh, but in the end, he didn't need to. Now, assuming, let's make an assumption here. Let's make the assumption that the Force come third overall. Okay, um, they they sneak into that final spot. They manage to get the win against the Reds, or the Force end up losing to the um, the Rebels end up losing to the Tars in Sydney in the upcoming round, mm-hmm. and the Force get third. Okay, yep. how do, do you think they have the ability to beat the Brumbies in Canberra? No, no, no. I don't. Okay, yeah, I'll so. be agreeing with that. I and think, I think that we'll, the, and I'll just quickly say we'll talk about it when we get on to our review of the next game, the Rebels and the and the Brumbies game. But I just, the way that the Brumbies are being officiated at the moment doesn't allow teams like the Rebels or the Western Force or even the Waratahs to kind of compete at the breakdown or to compete at, at the mall. So I just, I, I can see what happened to the, the Rebels this week happening to the Western Force in that third place playoff or that sort of semi-final, sorry, um, whereby the the Brumbies just put pressure on through the mall and the Western Force capitulate and either end up giving away a lot of cards, giving away a lot of penalties, and the Brumbies just rack up a cricket score against them. What yeah, were you going to say? Yeah, um, look, why, don't we, why don't we save that conversation then until we do the uh, preview of the round 10 matches? But yep. I just in general agree with you. So um, <laughs> why don't we go to our honourable mentions? Was there anybody from the Force and then the Tars that you wanted to mention? Um, if I'm going first, I'm going to go with Feliti Kaitu. He was incredible 
this game. And I think there was some news yeah, yeah. earlier in the week that Dave Rennie had come out and said, he'd said publicly, but I imagine he would have said at the Wallabies camp last weekend, um, particularly the hookers and the fullbacks, like this spot's wide open at the moment. You you all are in with a shot. So you're all playing against each other at the moment because Kaitu came out this week and was just on fire. He was playing. He was just doing everything. His line out was pretty solid. Um, his scrummaging was very good, but his ability with ha- ball in hand was just a next level from what we've seen in the past. And yeah, he scored He scored that try and um, he just kept popping up everywhere. He was putting big hits on and he just really had a really dominant performance this game. So um, really impressed with him and his performance. And I could see him being a good option for that starting cooker position. Yep. Yep, I hear you. Um, I slightly disagree about the quality of the line-out throwing, but every other point around the park, I highly agree with. Two from three. Oh, sorry, no, 13. They were 100% from their line-outs. 13 from 13. Yeah, that doesn't mean that it's clean, and um, that just means they retain possession. doesn't mean it's clean ball. But anyway, who cares? Uh, Who's your Waratahs pick? Azai Parisi. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm just really impressed with Parisi's ability to break the line and to truck up in the centres. Something we've missed for the last few weeks when Parisi wasn't there uh, and we kind of had this makeshift centre pairing was that the Waratahs just seemed to throw the ball along the back line and it started from the breakdown and went to the winger and then the winger usually got tackled and then it went back the other way to the other wing and they were just sort of doing that back and forth until they either decided to box kick it or kick present it possession away or turned it over but I was really impressed with Parisi in the last few weeks and this week particularly was that when he would take the line on he'd get the ball and he'd straighten up and he'd burst through the tackle and I I wondering if it's coming from the physicality of playing a year with the Brisbane Broncos but he just had the ability to actually take on a few players two or three players break through that tackle make a meter or two and then offload the ball which um, was the reason we scored that try to Donaldson or yep. Donaldson ended up passing through and I think it was Ram scored or Maddox. Anyway, Maddox. <laughs> made my point. <clears throat> yep, you have made your point. Starting with the Tars, I think Jake Gordon is my pick. Um, since he's come back from injury, you see the difference that he makes within a team. Uh, looking at the stats, I know that the Tars had about a... Uh, one third of the possession, but he still made 77 passes to Ben Donaldson at fly halves 22. So just, that just shows the um, firstly, the fact that the, the game this week that the Tars had, they stacked their benches with a six, two split. So six forwards, two backs and played a really tight combative game, which nearly, nearly came out for them, nearly worked for them. And a large part of that relied upon Jake Gordon's um, his, direction of the team around the park, the speed of his delivery and the accuracy of his delivery from the base of the rock. So I thought he again was instrumental. And one of the things that I really just wanted to highlight for him was the fact that his kicking, his box kicking ability is a thing that I think makes him stand out from the other scrum halves aside from Nick White within Australian rugby. And it's probably why he's getting preferred by Dave Rennie or he did get preferred by Dave Rennie in some of the um, Wallabies matches last year to Tate McDermott. Box kicking is a really important part of the international game. It provides a way for contestable um, field position to be made and to clear your defensive lines. And his box kicking gets that, that, 
near perfect level of height and hang to allow the defending to allow his defenders to get up and either contest for the ball or smash the player as soon as they hit the ground to try and provide a bit of momentum. So I really rate him. Um, in terms of the force, I was just, look, I think I've got a single out Miotti here. I was super, super impressed with Miotti apart from, putting his hand up to take a penalty kick from so far back that he could never really kick it. Um, <laughs> he's never, well, I haven't seen him make a kick that far. And from the attempt that he made, he can't ever make a kick that far. Um, <laughs> but with, with that being, if I take that out of the equation, he was really composed. He organized the team pretty well. And he's like, just, just that moment of willingness to step back and take the drop goal to me, just encapsulated one, a little bit of kind of Argentinian approach to the game. I don't think you'd see many Australian fly halves do that. Um, but it was just smart rugby. It was intelligent rugby at that point, and it really made him stand out to me. And I hope that we see that combination of Kubeli and Miotti again. I wonder if it helps that they speak the same language. Um, it's sure. probably one of the no, first times do. that they... would do, yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play against next week. I thought he was really good. Um, before we move on to the next game, I just wanted to also say a big... I guess second honorary mention goes out to Ben Donaldson. So yes, I was really yep. impressed with his performance at number 10, considering he hasn't had a whole lot of game time for the Waratahs. And one thing that I'm liking about his gameplay that's different to Will Harrison is his ability to, well, not his ability to take the line on, but just the fact that he's actually a bigger build build of player than Will Harrison is. When he does take the line on, he has the ability to push for an extra meter or two in the, in the contact before getting the ball away. Um, mm. Will Harrison does have the, I guess, guts to take the line on for a little fella, but he's not always as dominant as getting that post-contact meters. And that was something that I thought was really impressive seeing Ben Donaldson play um, this week. And there's a question that's been floating around. I wanted to ask you, Ando. Um, there's talks that Ben Donaldson and Will Harrison now both need to be playing for the Waratahs. If that is the case moving forward, where do you play both of them? Um, I think you would probably be playing maybe Harrison at 12. Um, I was just thinking Harrison at 12 because he has a tendency to stand deeper in the pocket when he's first receiver. And I think Donaldson's ability to play a little bit flatter to the line would be uh, good at just creating indecision within the defense. Um, although some of that for this match was just because the Waratahs pack was better than they had been previously. So that's uh, separate yeah. to what um, Harrison has had in the last few weeks. Uh, I think that, yeah, if it's off a set play, you're probably going to have Donaldson at 10 um, and then Harrison a little bit wider if you can do that. Or maybe, but I mean, that takes Fichetti out of position and Fichetti and Parisi have been really good. Um, so I'm not sure if I'd want to be changing and having both Donaldson and um, Donaldson and Harrison on the field at the same time. I th I think they're a like for like replacement. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Oh, by the way, just before we move on, and we really do need to move on. We spent yep. way too much time on this game, uh, as we normally do when it's a task playing. Sorry, everybody. Um, can we just say, Benny Backer? Where the hell are you now, mate? <laughs> where, are you, where are your comments now? Where's your commentary now? Do you still think Tane Edmed should have started? Huh? Huh? Bloody awesome performance there from Donaldson. And back is the one beforehand who's saying, oh, no, it should have been Edmed. And he's the shoot shield player who, when Edmed was given to him to play a full match, started him on the pine. 
And then it was like, <laughs> oh no, he should be starting for the Waratahs the next week. Come on, pull your head out. Um, <laughs> anyway, I thought that was pretty funny to see how Donaldson performed in light of those comments. Uh, let's move on now to the second game. So the second game was an afternoon match down in Melbourne, the Rebels versus the Brumbies, with a pretty close run encounter again, with the Brumbies getting up over the Rebels with the final score 20 to 26. Now, touching very quickly on some of the match stats again, uh, two tries to four Rebels to Brumbies with conversions two and then three, and the Rebels kicked two penalty goals to none for the Brumbies. Looking at possession overall, 54 to 46, territory is 53 to 47, so pretty even. Run meters were pretty even as well, nearly 500 for the Rebels, 437 for the Brumbies. The clean breaks were 6 to 13, defenders beaten 23 to 22, offloads was 11 to 4, so many more from the Rebels, and turnovers conceded 17 to 11. And I reckon Rory Scott probably got about 16 of those 17 turnovers on his own. <laughs> he was insane. Uh, set piece was pretty strong from both sides. Uh, only one missed scrum and line out from the Brumbies to mar their record. Um, tackle effect or tackle percentage was pretty down for the rebels. They were down to 81% of their tackles. So they uh, missed 19%, which is not a good, good stat for them. And penalties were pretty even across both teams at 12 to 10. So my question for you, mate, is in watching this game, neither team really stood out. Uh, if you saw the final Brumbies try, um, you would have seen Matty Tamua um, basically just falcon it into who's oh, Josh Kemeny's head. How silly. Um, how silly. Oh, it, it, was just, it was just chance. It was a slight miskick under good pressure from Andy Muirhead after a, um, after a good kick that found grass and Tamua had to rush the kick and just smacked into his own player's head before they got the... Uh, but the, like how, how uh, Brumby's got the try. How dirty would Tamua be now considering the outcome of the game? I know, exactly, exactly. So so just looking at that, how fortunate the Brumbies were to actually not kind of get away, but to, to win the game. Um, how good would you say each team was? If you were to rate them out of 10, how would the Rebels stack up versus the Brumbies on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'd probably give the Rebels a 6. And the Brumbies are five. Yeah, okay. And is wh- why the and difference? The, the Brumbies reason, won, but you've yeah. The reason on. being, the Brumbies are the current champions of Super Rugby AU, so we could uh, expect a little bit more from them. They have shown their ability to score points um, earlier in the year. They 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 can score points through lots of different uh, avenues. It's not all through them all, but for whatever reason, this week they just seem to struggle to do that. Yep. So it was, there was some players that were rested. It was a fairly inexperienced starting side from what we've seen or come to expect from the Brumbies. And maybe that is um, what we can attribute it to. I mean, Ryan Lonergan's, I just guess, out of depth at this level um, starting. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, I, I was just looking at the game at halftime, 19 to 7 to the Brumbies. But some of the points and tries that were scored were off malls. Um, the Rebels also had two yellow cards. So some of those, and the last try that they scored was a, a pretty uh, fluky try. So it really could have been going into the sheds um, 17, uh, 14 to 7 or, or something more along that. And the Rebels would have been more in the game. 
But in the second half, again, for probably the third week in a row, we've seen that the Brumbies are struggling to score points in that second half. And if it wasn't for that sort of fluky try that they scored off that um, Falcon that you mentioned, they wouldn't have scored any points in the second half again. So there are some questions about the Brumbies that are being asked and that are arising at the moment is why are they sort of falling out of games towards the end, in the, towards the sort of the second half of the period? So, yeah. Um, but the Rebels... Again, didn't also also didn't do enough to win the game either. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing that we pointed out about the Rebels last week is that they they have some really good players across the team, but they're just really not gelling. Um, there was one point that I noticed early on within the match where the Rebels get a break on the left-hand side of the Brumbies try line and they're on a good run. There's a good forward carry in towards the post. Tamua picks it up and Stacey Illy and Tom Pincus just get totally mucked up with the lines and timing of what they're doing. Tamua plays it out to where he thinks Pincus is running onto it but Pincus is just pulled back and and Ely pulls like that the communication between the backline runners was just so poor that it looks as though Tamu has just thrown an absolutely dud pass but really it was just the lack of understanding between the backs that were outside of him that let that attacking opportunity go down and I I think for me I would agree with you I'd probably sit both teams around a five or a six out of ten um, and probably just put them both on like a five out of ten because the Brumbies even though they won I think should have played better than they did mm-hmm. and partly I think that comes down for the for the Rebels of the significant injury disruption that they've had and the massive changes that have been required for their backline throughout the course of the season. Um, but also for the Brumbies, the fact that they did make the choice to have a lot of changes to their starting lineup this game. And that was that was a choice they made knowing that they've they've got second place in a bag. Nothing can change that whatsoever. And so they wanted to just build a little bit of squad depth without making too many changes. So when we consider all of that in the picture, I'm not too surprised that the Rebels were able to push the game so close, but that the Brumbies still were able to clear out the win because they are at the core of who they are, are still a very good team, but they're just not performing at the level that I would expect of them. I mean, there are questions as well that could be asked that the Brumbies have a buy now before the finals. So they then play the third, the semifinal, and then they, uh, you'd imagine that they'll win that quite easily and then go up and, and contest it against the Reds. Would you not think that you'd be wanting to build some momentum going into those finals, considering that you're coming off not poor performances, but against the Waratahs, they got out of jail last week. They got beaten by the Reds. So they didn't play badly in that game, but they also were, again, up at halftime and let the other team come into it in the second half. Maybe this might be, um, we might see that this was a poor decision in terms of coaching moving forward, that they weren't able to sort of pick and stick with a team, build that momentum and cohesion um, Mm. moving into the finals. Yeah, and that'll be a good question for us to kind of reflect on later. Uh, personally, I'm okay with changes being made at this point, knowing that they've got the um, uh, the the win in the second place position yep. in a bag. If they hadn't have made a lot of changes, and we maybe wouldn't have seen a full game from Rory Scott, and he was an absolute re- revelation. And so we might jump across into the um, honourable mentions. And for me, I'm going first because I want to mention Rory Scott for the Brumbies. He was really, really impressive. He's got the nickname of Poey because of his ability 
responsibility on the ball and the respect that the team has or the, the, the playing group has for him. He had a few really, really key turnovers. One particularly near the end of the first half where the Rebels were hot on the attack and he basically on his own orchestrated this fantastic turnover, gets smashed by the clearing out players but manages to stay over the ball and secure the turnover and possession to clear the line. Um, he really was super impressive. I think teams will be more aware of his ability in the next couple of weeks um, and the danger that he does pose at the lineout. but it was just really, really welcoming to see the impact that he had on the game with his first, I think it was his first full start for the Brumbies. Yeah, no, it was, it, it is. Um, and that, that's a good point that you brought up because I did want to mention that around this game and I, I was surprised with the Rebels' uh, approach to the breakdown in this game in that they know how potent the Brumbies are at the breakdown and particularly on the ball. They're a very on the ball present team and they're very capable of turning the ball over with only a little sniff, but the the rebels uh, defenders, or I guess you call them attackers, but like the, um, the players coming through were very slow to secure their own ball. And there were so many times where the rebels, uh, the Brumbies were able to just turn over the ball so easily because the the player the rebels player would get the ball run one up get tackled go to ground and then it would take maybe a second or two for the first player to arrive and by that point the brumbies players were either on top of it or get to their feet and, and steal the ball so you you really need to be on top of that when you're going up against a team like the brumbies yep 100 agreed uh Honourable mentions for you, mate. I've already I'm, mentioned. I'm going uh, to stick with um, the, the Melbourne Rebels, and I'm going to go with Cameron Orr. So yeah, cool. Um, it back. was yeah, it was unfortunate that we haven't seen him earlier in the season, and we don't really know what the injury was that kept him out for so long. But he came came into this game with a massive um, impact. So as soon as he came on, the Rebels absolutely dominated the Brumbies completely against the feed and just monstered their scrum. And that was all from Cameron all being on the field. And then from then on, he just had this intent to really um, make, make it known that he was put packing down against the Brumbies and he never really took a backward step. So I was really impressed to see just how the ascendancy shifted back to the Rebels when Cameron all was on the field. Um, and that he is a player that is able to sort of swing that momentum back in his team's way. I'm really happy to see Izzy Nicerani return as well. Um, I think that his return is really good for just Australian rugby in general. We need a point of difference in Aussie rugby for number eights. He he provides a bit of the bulk and a bit of the raw power that um, I just, I don't think Harry Wilson offers yet because he's still so young. Um, I, I'm not sure. This might be a bit of a contentious view, and I know we're not talking about the Rebels or the Brumbies at this point with this uh, comment, but I'm actually not rating Harry Wilson anywhere near as much this season as his first breakout season. He's having the typical second season blues in my mind. Um, You can't doubt his work rate, his work ethic, and the fact that he's without a doubt fighting hard for the team every single week with the involvements that he has. But he just doesn't have the dominating impact over the gain line. And I think a big part of it is where teams are completely understanding that he's just not going to step aside. Like, you know how Jack Dempsey does that little jink before he hits contact to get like a bit of a soft shoulder through the tackle? Um, Wilson just runs straight into players. And last season, people weren't expecting it as much. that his dynamism really got them, um, caught them napping throughout the season. But this season, they just know that if you just put two people on him, 
he's just going to smash into you and you can just hammer him every single time. And so I'm liking that Nicerani is back in the picture, both for the Rebels and subsequently for the Wallabies too, because he he does have the bulk to provide that gain line presence that Wilson just has struggled with a little bit this year. I still rate Wilson really highly, don't get me wrong, but I think that Nicerani is a good, not counterpoint, but a good challenger for that role within a number eight position. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've also got to look at the um, the amount of experience that both players have. This is Harry Wilson's second year and he's only 22 or something. Whereas Izzy Nicerani has been around for a while. He's played at the Western Force and he's played with the, the Rebels for a few seasons now. So um, maybe that is a good thing as well to have a more experienced number eight at the back of the scrum, particularly going up against teams like the All Blacks and France when they come down. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. Now, I want to quickly just talk about the mall. Uh, we haven't spoken about quickly. we haven't spoken about it too much lately, but um, I just I'm finding it frustrating the way that the referees are approaching the malls, particularly for the Brumbies, um, in that the way that they are adjudicating that area of the game is just intrinsically focused on the defence. Now the Re- Rebels got two yellow cards that were basically came in the space of about fifteen minutes, um, but all came from more pressure from the Brumbies. Now, I completely disagree with the second yellow card to Trevor Hosea. That was complete garbage in my opinion. Yeah, I I Um, agree. And you could even argue the first one was a bit harsh too, the fact that they were getting warnings, the Rebels, for uh, coming in at the side or collapsing the mall or just disrupting the Brumbies mall. And then Marika Korobetti gets pinged for being offside. And then he gets a yellow card for repeated infringements. Now, I understand that technically they are repeated infringements, but you're looking at a set piece and then you're, send, you're giving the winger a yellow card for his first infringement. It's not like it's an, another scrum infringement or another infringement at the breakdown or the more. I thought that was a bit harsh. Um, yep. Obviously, if they had done the same thing again and, and deliberately collapsed a mall, fair enough. But the fact that Marika Korobetti is just offside, he ends up getting 10 in the bin. And then again, the Brumbies just pile that pressure back on. But I'm just finding it frustrating that teams are clearly being dominated in that area by the, by the Brumbies. But then they're also... So they're doing their best to try and legally counteract um, the, the driving mall. I don't necessarily think they're doing things um, overtly illegal. It's not hmm. clear and obvious. Yet yep. they're getting very heavily penalized for it. So what what can you do in that instance? Like you, you, you basically just need to do what the Waratahs are doing now by standing off and just not letting the team engage in that drive at all. I, I don't know what the question is. I don't, sorry, I don't know what the answer is to that question at the moment because I felt really, I felt harsh for the Rebels in this game because they weren't able to do anything against the Brumbies more. They either scored tries or they copped a yellow card. I don't know what the team mm. does in that instance. Yeah, and I think that um, it's one. I, I would love for us to even just write an article for like the Raw or something like that about the issues with the mall currently. Um, Morgan Tiranui was having some really good comments during this Rebels Brumbies game, where he basically said that 
if you're going to allow malls to be as powerful as they are, you need to be really strict about the attacking team and be alert of the law in what they're doing. Yeah. And I really like that because, I mean, you, you saw that little um, bobble that Falau Fainga had when he kind of slightly lost control of the ball. It hit the player's leg in front of him. He regathered. It happened in the space of like half a second, if that. Um, but they called it up and said, no, no trials are knock on. And just those small, tiny errors from the attacking team, I think, need to get p- pulled up a little bit more just because the mall is so, so overpowered. I mean, one of the one of the issues that we also have been seeing, and I've been mentioning, so I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the pod, but I pointed out to you a bunch of times, yeah, is when um, the Brumbies players uh, on the sides of the mall, sorry, just hit the microphone, on the sides <laughs> of the mall, they, they retire and pull themselves out of the mall, but pull like two or sometimes even three defending players with them. And so what that does is that depowers the defending defense because obviously you've just now got a player imbalance. Um, And it then leads to a Brumbies try. And it's a Brumbies particularly that I'm seeing do this. But if you look at the letter of the law, you go to law, you go to the law book, page 78, I'm currently looking at. Um, and And it says in 1611B, players must not attempt to drag an opponent out of a mall. Now, I'm sure if you're the Brumbies coach, if you're Laurie Fisher here, you're arguing <laughs> that they're not dragging a player out of the mall. They are disengaging themselves and retiring to the back of the mall to re-engage, but they just happen to be having two players on them when they do so. Like, I, <laughs> I get that you can kind of work in the gray space there, but the, I just wish the referees were a bit more on top of things like that because it's just frustrating to see how OP or overpowered they are. Um, and that these little little niggles that the smarts of the Brumbies are doing um, are enabling them to have such a weapon. And I want to see that for the Wallabies and I want to see that on a world stage for us. Um, but it's just frustrating when it's uh, done so regularly, but then the defensive teams are getting pinged for minor infringements. Yeah, exactly. And another um, issue that we've noticed as well is that uh, the Brumbies particularly, their lifters will take a step forward. So they're technically in front of the ball carrier when the, the mall's set up. So therefore they're they're offside. They're in front of the ball player. Um, I've had a bit of back and forth between people on Twitter around this for a long time. Um, and it's very interesting to see that everyone in Australian rugby is a- agreed with me if they were from the Western Force, Queensland, New South Wales or the Rebels, but all the Brumbies fans were like, no, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. You're allowed to do it because of this and this and this and this. So, um, the, yeah, what you were saying, Ando, is, is 100% correct in this, and I think that's where we'll finish on it. But if you're going to have such an attacking weapon, it needs to be adjudicated to the letter of the law. Um, I, I just don't like the way that the referees are now looking at the defending team and trying to find reasons to penalise them when the other team is so heavily in front because there's two ways it's going to end up. You'll either give away a penalty or they'll score a try. And if they don't score the try, they get the penalty and they have another crack at it. And you're just going to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And I felt quite hard. I felt quite bad for Tamua, particularly in the um, Trevor Hosea one, because he even comes up to the referee and says, are you sure? Are you sure on that? And um, he gets just gets told to sort of walk away, and it's and he doesn't even get an answer for it. He just no, he doesn't exactly. Uh, like he get, he just kind of he just gets away. sort of the cold shoulder, and that's one of the things that uh, someone I saw on Twitter mentioned that um, the referees now because of the tactics of the Brumbies to to use 
the more so heavily. And so um, often, particularly in a short time of short, um, like they use it over and over again, but the referees start to get frustrated with a defending team. And so they start pinging them for other things and it starts bleeding into the other game as well. And just the way they're interpreting things. Yeah, um, I just didn't agree that they engaged early. I actually thought it yeah. was a really well-timed engagement to push the Brumbies back exactly as the feet hit the ground. Uh, but anyway, it's happened. Um, did you have any... So who who did you highlight as your honourable mention? I Cameron said Rory Orr. Scott. You said Cameron Orr. Okay, cool. Do you want to select someone from the Brumbies and I'll do someone from the Rebels? Um, I'll go with Ryan Lonergan. Why not? He's all right. Oh, he goes yes. all right. He goes yes. all right. Of course you do. Uh, my my big shout is Joey Powell. I think he's having a cracker season at the moment. Um, he's playing really, really well for the Rebels um, in a team that isn't performing as well as we, I believe, they can. Um, and he is heavily involved. His passing is accurate. His involvement is strong. And I'd like to see a little bit more running from him where possible. Uh, not just... He, he's fantastic at supporting breaks, as you saw with that um, Campbell Magnate break where he just finished off so incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to see him kind of challenging some of the defenders at the base of the ruck a little bit more um, just to keep keep them honest you know just to keep them honest and pr- try and prevent a little bit of the early um early folding to cover the wider defense but that's me i think we need to move on and head to the locker room for our listener questions let's go all right we are into the locker room now so this is where we get to answer some of our fans juiciest questions and comments we uh, put this um, one up quite late today. Apologies to everyone out there who maybe didn't get their questions in in time, but we'll try and put it up a bit earlier next week. Uh, we've only got three questions. We'll run through this really quickly. So the first one comes from Jason Breeze, and he asks, does any team have a realistic hope of beating the Reds in the final or the Brumbies to make the final? Also, with the two teams being added from, from 2022, what is your preferred comp model? I don't want a 12-team, everyone play once. I prefer six teams separate and then combine a bit like this year. Ando, your thoughts? Uh, I think that the Brumbies are the best chance of beating the Reds in the final. Um, I think of the Force or the Rebels beating the Brumbies. I... Maybe see the Rebels having a better chance of beating the Brumbies for the playoff. Um, I just don't think that the back line of the force is probably good enough to to overcome the Brumbies. Um, I think that the Rebels at least have some big game players like Corabetti who could have a moment of magic and actually get his first meat pie for the season. Um, So, yeah, I think that the Brumbies are the only ones that have a chance of beating the Reds in the actual grand final, but the Rebels have a better chance, in my opinion, than the force of beating the Brumbies to make the final. Can I answer my question, this, this one, and then we'll move on to the next part of the question? Yep. I um yeah, I kind of agree around the Brumbies. I don't think anyone either of those team are really gonna beat the Brumbies in the fight in the semi. Um mm. they just haven't I don't done think a... I don't think they will, but I think the best chance is the Rebels. Well he the question is, does any team have a realistic hope of beating them or the Brumbies? And I don't think they do. I don't think either of them will come oh, up against sorry. the Brumbies. Yep, yep, yep. yep so yep. um yeah, I just don't see either of them really. They haven't put enough in the season yet. They've both struggled against the Waratahs, and that goes to show to say something. So um <laughs> I just think the Brumbies will be too good in the semi and they'll get in really quite easily. But I also think that the Reds have set themselves up so well this season. Brad Thorne has a plan 
And he's been talking and the players have been talking in the media around not getting ahead of themselves and saying, you know, we haven't won anything yet. We don't have the right. We haven't earned to be congratulated yet. We haven't won anything. So I feel like Brad Thorne's got another level for these players to go up to when it comes to the final. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Reds could turn up for their home final and put in a better performance for anything we've seen this year. And I really just don't see the Brumbies being able to catch them at this point. They've showed from their form in the last few games that they're coming in and out of games and they're falling away in the, the second half. I just don't think for whatever reason that this Brumbies team is is as good as they were in the final last year. And I don't mm-hmm. see them taking the final off the Reds. Yep. Yeah, we I move on to the second points. half of the question. So two teams coming in 2022. What's your preferred comp model? I prefer the separate conferences than having a crossover competition afterwards. Um, Even if it was like a conference system where the top two or top three from each conference then um, got into a bit of a a playoff at the end to take the the cup and then the bottom teams play off for a shield or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't mind that at all. That's a cool idea. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I just think that there is so much to be gained from Australian teams playing Australian teams because we're seeing the development of really intense rivalries, particularly from the Brumbies and the Reds. They've just been fantastic. Um, There's the historic animosity between the Rebels and Force with a lot of the Rebels players being ex-Force after they were cut back in the day. And and just everyone hates the Waratahs. Everyone hates the Waratahs, so it's just all like there's there's just these storylines that are I think in the last two seasons have developed quite well. Yeah, and I'm not sure it was so expected. I'm not sure everyone expected the the um, quality that we're seeing, particularly this year, uh, from the Brum- from the Reds, particularly, and then last year's competition was actually pretty decent as well. So I'd like to kind of preserve that, and I'd like to preserve that, but then still have the cross. Um, cross uh, nation cross conference competition Mm -hmm. too so i'd I'd play it separately and then have a playoff of the top three teams playing against each other and then the bottom three teams playing against each other for a lesser uh lesser reward that's an interesting concept i hadn't thought of that around um a separate uh like a a loser's trophy but um (laughs) i um (laughs) sucked in you get the loser's shield yeah you get the shield, we get the trophy. But um, I uh, I think there's a lot to be said around the, the Super Rugby AU model. I don't think we were expecting this competition to be so engaging moving into it last year yeah. and this year. Yeah. I don't, like if you look at the results from the last two years, most of the games are, are within five points. We've not seen mm. any blowout scores. Everyone's coming up competitive against each other. I think there's a lot to be said around... Um, playing the Australian teams first and then moving into the New Zealand team, I think it just gives us confidence. We are able to to get some good skill set, get a good base before we take on the Kiwis. And then our top teams are better for it playing against the Australian teams than if we look at the old format of Super Rugby where we were just playing the Kiwis on and off throughout the, throughout the year. We go back to that format that we had before where, you know, what was it, two years that... Two two whole years where not an Australian team had beaten a Kiwi team. We just lost <laughs> for two whole years straight. It was horrible. Yep. I just think that there's a lot, the strength of the competition in playing the Australian side first and then moving into the other teams is much better than just playing on and off back and forth across the Tasman. Um, that's what I would like to see, like we're doing at the moment, 
two two and separate a, competitions yep. coming together. Um, a, and- a big part of me just loves the Friday Saturday uh, reliability of knowing that there's a game on nearly every single Friday and Saturday at seven forty five pm. Yeah, exactly, and it's, and, and it's on. And- and it's on at a reasonable time. Like even if we do go back to a 12-team competition, we'll be playing Australian games against Kiwi teams at 5.45 on a Friday, which is not prime time because people are still at work or on their way home from work and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, yep. I, I feel like with the two new teams coming in, one of them would be based in Australia. So I would imagine the Fijian and Drua would be based. Might not be. In Might Austra- be. Not, sorry, not based in Australia, but based in the Australian comp if we were to split yes. it. Yep. And then yep. we can go over there and play them in Fiji and that kind of thing. I think that would be, for me, the ideal competition. And then we've also got silverware, more silverware. If we play Super Rugby AU first, we've got a Super Rugby AU trophy. So at least an Australian team wins something before we move into another half of the competition. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay, cool. Uh, We kind of need to move on. So what's the next question? Next question comes to us from Julia and she asks, what about the TARS improvement? What do you put that down to? Uh, Consistency in um, center combinations. So with Fakedi and Parisi, uh, the influence of Jake Gordon as well and the decision to run with a 6-2 split to nullify some of the strengths of the Western force. Um, they didn't dominate, but they they um, evened out the forward pack strength of the force. So I think that was the improvement from that particular game. But if you look at the last few weeks and their improvement, uh, Jake Gordon, it's, it's super simple. Who's the main player that's been back and has ha- had excellent games, both games? It's Jake Gordon. He was the captain. He is the captain. And his influence of directing players around the park, the control that he has and the um, skill set that he has just leads to a more structured, a more organized playing style that was less frantic and frenetic than it was with Jack Grant and Will Harrison in as a nine and 10 combo. I don't want to um, take anything away from Jake Gordon. I think he's been great. And and I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I don't, I also don't want to just say that he's the main reason that we're performing better. He's a big part of it. But I also think that this, this team this week is the closest sort of a team that we can put on the park. So this is the first time since round one that we've got the majority of our big players back from injury. We've got Mm -hmm. our center pairing back. We've got Jake Gordon. We were missing Will Harrison this week, but Ben Donaldson stepped up and played well. We've got those guys back too. So we've had a lot of injuries this season. It would be really, really interesting to see what would have happened had we been able to take this team with the inclusion of Will Harrison at 10 and had a full season of Super Rugby AU without the disruptions of um, red card sanctions and injuries and all that kind of stuff, where we might end up. We might have been looking at a completely different outcome. We might still have Rob Penny. We might be sitting in third spot at the moment. Who knows? But I think for me personally that this is the first week we've seen all of those guys back together playing together since round one, and that's why we've had such a big improvement. Next one comes to us from Rebels Rugby Guy, and he uh, he says, "Refing, how do we sort this out? Haven't heard back from them from last rant. <laughs> so basically, um, if you followed our Twitter account during the Force Tars game, I was the one doing the live tweeting, as you probably guessed if you've got this far into the pod. Um, and I don't think I was a salty fan at all. I was pretty... Um, I think I was just pretty frustrated with some of the calls that were made, but that's because they were getting made against my team. So I get it. Uh, (laughs) I think that um, I actually 
don't really have a significant issue with the quality of the refereeing in Super Rugby AU. I don't think it's been poor by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, I thought Amy Perrett uh, on Friday on Saturday night was was good for the vast majority of the game. There were a few errors that I would point out, but I don't have an issue with there being a few errors within a game because refs are human and they're going to miss things and make yeah. mistakes. And I'm actually okay with the game not being over-officiated. Uh, I really don't like the presence of captain's calls within Super Rugby Aotearoa. I, I think it just takes away from the authority and, um, yeah, the authority of the referee during will, the game. And I, I will think say one, one thing about the important things. I will quickly just say one thing about the captain's call, though. Um, and maybe there just needs to be more thought around how it actually gets implemented better. Like the the biggest complaint about the whole captain's call this week is that in in this weekend's games, the Crusaders basically just threw out captain's calls for no reason because they were losing the game. Um, but if we did have that in some effective way, and I don't have an answer for how we implement that at the moment, but we wouldn't be having the discussion now around last weekend's Reds Brumbies game where players are saying, or people are saying, you know, we were robbed because the ref didn't see the hand and this sort of stuff. If we had the captain's challenge, I imagine that Alan Altoa or Kusak, whoever was on at the time, would be able to go up to the referee and say, can we just check that? We saw a hand come knock that ball out and then they'd be able to look at it. So yeah. in some ways it fixes that element of the game and takes it out of the referee's control. I mean, if it still happens and the ref doesn't do anything and then both teams don't say anything, fans have no one to blame then. So it just sort of mm. shifts the blames and the responsibility back on the players in that instance. But at the same time, I see what everyone's saying and there needs to be further thought around how we implement it to, to make it um, effectively used. We can't just be challenging things for the sake of challenging things because the game's on the line. Yeah, look, I just don't want it. As simple as that. I just I think we shouldn't be messing with the system. Um, I don't I don't like it for rugby league. I don't like it for the Super Rugby Aotearoa competition. So I'd be happy to not have that. But overall, I think the refereeing has been pretty good. And I'd like to see um, Amy Perrett get a few more games as well. Uh, I had a few issues with how quickly she was giving yellow card warnings for teams, um, but she was consistent. So she gave one for like two, two fouls or two penalties that were given away by the Tars in the first like 10 minutes of the game. But then she went and did the exact same thing after two defensive penalties from a rebel uh, from the force down there into the field. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. She's being harsh, but at least she's being consistent across both teams. So yeah. that's fine. Um, okay. I think we I think that's it. Hey, I think so. Let's um, move across now to our preview for round 10, final round of right. Super Rugby AU. Let's go. All right. The first game of round 10, the final round of Super Rugby AU before it hits the finals, which is crazy to think about. Uh, that is going to be the Force versus the Reds on Friday night over at HBF Park in Perth. So what's your prediction for this game? Who's going to win by how much? Western Force by 35. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't. I don't. I don't foresee the force being able to upset the Reds. They. The biggest upset I would. I would say the force can do is probably the score line, but I don't think they've got enough in them to be able to beat the Reds. So okay. I mean, I don't. I don't know what the team selection is going to be at this point. We have, we're so early in the week that we don't know those things. I don't foresee though Brad Thorne being the type of coach who's going to rest a lot of players and bring in a vastly inexperienced side to play the force. 
I think he values his plays and the team and the cohesion moving to the finals enough to name a pretty strong side. So I can't go against anyone but the Reds for this one. And I'll probably say the Reds by 14. Yeah, cool. I was going to go the Reds by about that too. Um, so I might just say Reds by 10. Um, uh, do I want to say Reds by 10? Let me just actually think about this before I put a number out there. Force might have a couple of players back. Um, yeah, okay. I'm going by 10. Reds by 10. Fantastic. I think it'll be tight for it. And I think the Reds might rest one or two players, um, but I don't think they'll do any wholesale changes like you mentioned. Okay, cool. Waratahs versus Rebels. I think there might be a bit of a road bump here for the Rebels. Um, I don't think they have a particularly large amount of consistency that they can bring to this game with their performances. Um, they have a few players back, which is really good for them. So Cam or Easy Nice to run. A few players. They've Dane got a Hallett lot Penny. of players back. Yeah, true. They've got Ross Haley back as well. Dane and Cam Ross Haley. Yeah. Yeah. So but the thing is, like, yeah, okay, they're super good players, but they also haven't played now for, what, six weeks, if not longer. Um, for some of them, actually, for Nicerani, it'll only be his second game of the season. For Hale at Petty, it'll be his first game of the season. Um, yep, it will. And so, like, yeah, they're good players, but they won't have that synergy with the players around them um, for having have but played that might the whole be season. That, but their talent enough might be uh, what? Maybe, be maybe. So it's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to be picking Waratahs by five. Oh, Okay. Um, I, I, look, I don't, I really don't know how this will go. Um, I can see it going both ways. If you look at the fact that the rebels have their, their finals hopes on the line, if they don't win against the Waratahs, they're out completely. Um, I think I'm not actually sure what the conditions are around how the force need to make the finals. Do they need to just get a bonus point and the rebels need to lose? I think that's probably what's going to need to happen. Looking at the table. Um, I think the Rebels only need to c- c- get a bonus point to c- to get third spot. But at the same time, the Waratahs have their final home game of the year and going for their first victory or their first win. So they're going to be up for it. But at the same time, they've just struggled this year in terms of cohesion. So uh, I'm loving I'm gonna, the way you're talking I'm gonna through go, this. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Rebels by three because Tamu is the just going to kick them from, every, from everywhere. Yeah, okay. Rebels by right. three. I can totally hear that. Rebels by three. All right, yeah. sweet. Well, those are our predictions. And thank you so much, everybody, for staying with us to this point. We had a fair few tangents as we were going through this week's games, but that was pretty fun. We got to talk about some um, things that we've been brewing on or stewing on for a little while, uh, particularly around like the Brumbies uh, Mall as one point. And it's just great to have the opportunity to chat rugby with our dear friends and listeners so thank you so much for getting to this point as always keep an eye out for the locker room entries um generally on a sunday or a monday depending upon our work schedules and our availability we'll put them out there we love to hear from you thank you so much for getting to this point and sorry force fans that i was a bit salty about our loss <laughs> earlier in the match we love you and we love the force have a great week we'll catch you later bye, bye.